On the eve of America's 242nd birthday, it is appropriate for us to talk about freedom. The freedom that I have in mind is not financial freedom. Even though much of the American dream is built upon financial freedom, where you make enough money to retire early, travel the world, and buy whatever your hearts desire. While that is a form of freedom, that's not the freedom to which I speak today. The freedom to which I refer today is not even political freedom, where armies wage war and defend democracy, and lawmakers are charged with the responsibility and the knowledge that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. While that is a form of freedom, that's not the freedom to which I refer today. The freedom to which I am thinking about this morning is not even parental freedom. You know, that's the freedom that's voiced by every 18-year-old when he or she finally graduates and gets out of the home and says, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. That is a form of freedom, but that's not the freedom to which I speak today. The freedom that I refer to today is a freedom that is fundamental, foundational, forever. It's the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. It's with that in mind, I invite you to take your Bible, turn to the gospel according to John chapter 8, verses 31 to 36. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. John chapter 8, let's begin at verse 31. And read through verse 36. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Verse 36 again. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's say it a third time. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. You may be seated. On that day, Jesus was addressing a crowd that's not much different than this crowd today. Jesus was speaking to a group of religious people. Many in that crowd knew the word of God by heart. Many others understood that it's advantageous to follow the word of God. Not only were the people in the crowd religious, they were also highly patriotic. The backdrop to our story is that they had come to the sacred city of Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was one of the three high holidays on the Jewish calendar. In the spring of the year, it was customary for Jews to migrate to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Pentecost. But in the fall of the year, there was the Feast of Tabernacles, After the harvest had come in, on a third occasion, they were prompted and instructed to return to Jerusalem and to worship the Lord for a week-long festival and full of festivities. Many people could travel 
in the fall of the year because the harvest had come. Not only did they have time to travel, but now they had resources to travel because you remember that Israel is largely an agrarian society. So once the harvest comes in, farmers have some time on their hands and they have some money in their pocket. This is what caused many uh, religious experts and historical experts to say that many years it was the Feast of Tabernacles that was the best attended feast. People were packing the city. Some of the most religious patriots in the first century were Pharisees. And oftentimes the Pharisees would try to corner Jesus. From their vantage point, Jesus was uneducated. He was unschooled. He was a redneck. He was a self-proclaimed rabbi. He was from the forsaken city of Nazareth, nestled there in the northern part of Galilee. He, he was a nobody, and yet many people were claiming he is Messiah. To those religious patriots called Pharisees, they wanted to silence Jesus. They wanted to get rid of him. And so numerous times they would ask him, by what authority do you do your mighty works? As I read throughout the gospel, I, I get the holy hunch that Jesus would much rather develop disciples than defend his authority. But he understood that when he was defending his authority, he was developing disciples. And in the gospel, there are two types of disciples. These two types of disciples are still with us today. There are some who are faithful disciples, others who are fickle disciples. A lot of people who are fickle, they just follow Jesus out of convenience. They follow him because of the reward and the benefit they can get from him. In those days, they saw Jesus as a meal ticket. Because on one occasion, he fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children, with five loaves of bread and two fish. And they followed him because their bellies were full. Other people followed Jesus because he was a holy health insurance plan. I mean, they took their sick to him and he gave sight to the blind. He restored hearing to the deaf. He enabled the lame to jump to their feet and to walk again. He was better than any hospital, more efficient than any doctor even that we have today. So many people followed Jesus just because it was convenient. They followed Jesus because of what they could get from Jesus. They followed Jesus because it was good for business. I can well imagine that some people on their business card put the ichthus, the little fish sign on there, just because it was good in the marketplace and good commerce to say that you are a follower of Jesus at times. But then there were other times when it wasn't very advantageous. Other times when maybe Jesus left town before he healed your aunt or uncle. Other times when you went to hear Jesus and all he said were just words of instruction and he never offered you any happy meal. He never gave you anything to eat. And it wasn't very convenient. Your belly was not full. Your family members were not healed. And it wasn't good for business. And there were many people who were fickle in their following of Christ. And they were just fickle disciples. But then there were others who were faithful to Christ. This seems to be the crowd that Jesus is talking to in our passage. He says to those who believed in him, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciple. Then you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus ties freedom to truth and then he ties truth to his teaching. That if you want to be free, you've got to know the truth. And if you want to know the truth, you've got to know the teaching of the truth giver, the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to, you've got to hold the words of the word. That if you really want freedom, it's not financial. 
If you really want freedom, it's not political. If you really want freedom, it's not even parental. If you want freedom, that freedom comes only by knowing the truth. And that truth is the word of Jesus the Christ. He says, you've got to hold to my teaching. That word hold elsewhere is translated remain or abide. In, Genesis, in, in John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me, that's our word, remain, abide, hold. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. The imagery of this word translated in our passage, hold, is remain, abide, it is cling, it is clutch, it is to stick to like super glue. Whenever I think of this imagery, of clinging and clutching and abiding and remaining and sticking like super glue, I'm always reminded of a story of my grandfather. Now you need to know that my mother's dad was a gentle giant. I loved granddaddy and granddaddy loved me. In fact, uh, I wanted to be just like him. Uh, he and I went fishing a lot of times. He could cast the line just with a flick of the wrist. I wanted to be able to cast the line just with a flick of the wrist. He wore a leather jacket, so I wore a leather jacket. He drove down the road with his arm hanging out the window, so I rode down the road with my arm hanging out the window. He drank his coffee out of a Dunkin' Donuts cup. I drank my Coca-Cola out of a Dunkin's Donut cup. Anything he did, I wanted to do. My grandfather served this country in the Navy. He never would tell me the details of the story, not even as I became an adult. Never would tell me the details, but I always noticed there was a massive tattoo on my grandfather's arm. It was a tattoo of a Navy ship against the backdrop of an American flag. I told you my grandfather was strong, didn't I? Robust. He was a big man. And I remember as a young boy, I would say, Granddaddy, make the flag wave. And he could flex his muscles and the, and the flag would wave just a bit. But as the years went by, the ship began to sink. <laughs> and the flag was only at half mass. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't waving as much. But I never will forget, I'm about nine years old, and he and Nana say, we're going to take the older grandkids to an amusement park. In hindsight, I have no idea why they wanted to take us to an amusement park. But they did, and we went. It was my granddaddy and my Nana and my older sister and me and one of our cousins. We got to the first ride of the amusement park. I'd never been to an amusement park, never ridden a roller coaster or anything that looked like a roller coaster. We got to this thing that was called the octopus. Really what it was, was a death trap <laughs> that they borrowed from the Nazis. And they used it in World War II. I'm, I'm sure it was. You can well imagine it had eight arms. And at the end of each arm, there was a little uh, couple of seats. And you would get fastened in and the lap bar would come down over your lap. That metal contraption would start to spin. And as it would go around, it'd get faster and faster and faster. And at the end of each arm was that little cart. And that cart could also spin as the whole thing was spinning around. 
I looked at that thing and I saw it. And I said, I'm not going on that. Grenade said, we, let's go. It'll be fun. I said, you think? Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. So my sister and female cousin, they went and they got strapped in. Nana, there was no way Nana was going to get on that ride. And granddaddy said, it'll be fun, it'll be fine, come on. And because he's granddaddy and he said, it'll be fun, it'll be fine, come on. I thought to myself, this is going to be fun and it's going to be fine, so I might as well go on. I got on there. They strapped me in. No turning back now. The bar came down. And I'm a little petrified. I really am. And I'm sitting there and my grandfather puts his big arms out and holds on to the lap bar. And it begins to crank. And it goes a couple of rotations, revolutions. I thought, okay, this is fine. I can, I can handle this. Not too bad. And then it went to warp speed all of a sudden. All of a sudden. I mean, it started flying around. Now, what I know now, I did not know then. But when you get centripetal force working against you, really, because at the end of each arm, there was a cart that would spin around. The more weight you put in that cart, the faster that cart goes around. I told you my grandfather's a big guy, right? So he is plastered up against the end of that cart. That thing is spinning and we're going around and I am tattooed against his tattoo and his arm is pressing up against me. And all I remember saying is, granddaddy, make it stop. (laughs) And the only thing I remember is him saying, it will stop soon. (laughs) Just a minute. I'm telling you, I was clutched. I was abiding. I was remaining. I was holding on to that arm. I was tattooed to that tattoo. They had to bring the jaws of life to get us out of that contraption and pry me away from my grandfather. Now, every time I think of the word hold, remain, clutch, adhere to, stick like glue. It's this Greek word. It's the word that's right here in our passage. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching in this way, if you cling to my words in this way, if you are plastered to the very word of God in this way, if you hold to me, you'll really be my disciple. It's a word that communicates that this holding is not just holding right belief, but it's also holding right behavior. That somehow the belief influences behavior. I think that this is where we are holding a bit too loosely to Christ. I know some children, and they are holding to good teaching. They believe in God, but it doesn't affect them honoring their mom and dad and how they treat their siblings. I know some students and they've been taught some good beliefs. They are holding to right beliefs about God, but somehow that belief in God does not impact their behavior on Friday night. I know some adults who have received good teaching. They have heard good preaching throughout the years. They believe in God. They believe in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. But somehow that belief does not impact their behavior in the way they treat their spouse or parent their children or interact in the marketplace. Somehow we say that we hold on to Christ, but we hold loosely to our beliefs because they don't really impact our behavior. Jesus 
Jesus says that is not a faithful disciple. That is a fickle disciple. If you want to be faithful unto me, then you've got to cling. You've got to clutch. You've got to adhere to. You've got to stick like super glue so that what you say you believe impacts how you behave. This is a real disciple, Jesus says. So if you're really my disciple, you'll hold and cling to my teaching. And then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Apparently, Jesus pushed a button a little bit because they said, how can you say that we are enslaved? We've never been slaves of anybody. We are descendants of Abraham. We are free. We've been given the law of God. We know the law of God. We are free. Friend, the law was never given to remove sin, but reveal sin. The law was given to lead us to Christ, not to replace Christ. They said, we're descendants of Abraham. Now, either they had historical amnesia Because the reality is Israel's been enslaved to just about everybody throughout the years. Or Jesus was touching and pushing a button and they were so flabbergasted and frustrated. They said, how can you say that we are slaves? How can you say that we need to be set free? We are somebodies. And Jesus said, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone. That includes Jew and Gentile, male and female, rich and poor, Pharisee and prostitute. It includes me and you. Everyone. Everyone who sins. The word sin means to miss the mark. It's taken from the athletic arena. When an individual entered an archery competition that individual had to nail the bullseye three times in a row to advance up in the competition if he only missed the bullseye once he was disqualified and the missing of the mark that's called sin if he missed the bullseye just once he could nail it twice but on the third arrow that he notched in the bull pulled back on the string if it went to the right or the left overshot or undershot he sinned he missed the mark and because of that he disqualified from the competition This is the idea of sin, that all of us are imperfect. Everyone sins. Everyone does something they ought not to do. Everyone refrains from doing something that they should do. Everyone sins in thought, word, and activity. All of us sin, and that sinning disqualifies us from the holy, innocent presence of God. Everyone who sins, Jesus says, is a slave to sin. When I think about being a slave to sin, what Jesus is really saying is that your sin owns you. You're a slave to sin. Your sin owns you. All of us will be owned by something. We'll be owned by sin. We could be owned by ourselves. We need to be owned by the Savior. But all of us will be owned by something. And Jesus said, everyone who sins is owned by that sin. Friend, just stop and think about it. Think about the sin that so easily entangles you, whatever that may be. The sin that continually trips you up. It is that sin that dictates dictates your agenda, right? It's that sin that sets the schedule. It's that sin. It's doing that sin. It's accommodating that sin. It's listening to that sin that caused you to make certain decisions and it sets your agenda for the day, right? That's evidence that you're owned by that sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Jesus went on and said, a a slave has no permanent place in the house, but a son is a son forever. 
This is the truth that Jesus communicated in that great famous story of the prodigal son where the younger son said to his father, Father, I wish you were dead. Give me my share of the estate. And the father did what the younger son asked. He gave two-thirds of the estate to the older son, gave one-third of the estate to the younger son. The younger son liquidized his assets. He went off and squandered his wealth in wild living. And when the money ran out, so were the so-called friends. He hired himself to a Gentile farmer to feed pigs. He was dreaming of eating the slop that the pigs were eating. And finally, he had an idea. He thought to himself, even my father's hired hands, lowest of the low, even the hired hands, they have clothes and they have a roof and they have food to eat. I'll go back and I'll ask my father, make me like one of your hired servants. He rehearsed his speech. Off he went back to the family farm. The father was looking for him from a distance. And when he saw him at a great distance, the father ran to his son. No father in the first century would ever be seen running in public for a father was supposed to be much more dignified than that. Yet this father throws cultural norms to the wind and he runs to his son. He orders for the ring to be put on his finger, a robe on his back, sandals on his feet. Kill the fattened calf, he says. We're gonna celebrate for this son of mine who's a son forever. He was was lost but he's found he was dead he's alive again and they had a, a party and they celebrated the older son who never left the family farm but was far from dad he saw and heard the commotion he called a servant and said what's going on at the house your brother is home your dad is elated he's throwing a big party the older son was fuming And the father treated the older son the same way he treated the younger son. He ran to his son in the field because once a son, always a son. He ran to the son and he said, son, you need to come and take your rightful place as the maitre d' of the party. And the son blasts his dad. He says, dad, you're making us a laughing stock in all of the community. For everybody knows that when this son of yours returns, who's wasted his wealth with prostitutes, when he shows up, you kill the fattened calf and you throw a party. Yet I've been here. I've slayed for you. And never once have you given me a goat so I can celebrate with my friends. And the father said, All that I have is yours. No truer statement of the father make. All that I have is yours. Because I've already given you two-thirds of the estate. I've given your brother one-third of the estate. All that I have is yours. But this brother of yours who was lost is found. We thought he was dead. He's alive again. He's come home. Because once a son always a son. Listen, if that story is true, which I think that it is, if that story communicates the godly uh, economy and the, and, and, the, and the way that God deals with people in his kingdom, if a son is a son forever, then listen to what Jesus said at the very last line of our passage. If the son of God sets you free, you'll be free indeed. If it's true that a son is a son forever, then the son of God must be the son of God forever. And if the son of God sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Jesus places this in the subjunctive mood. It's, it's, a, it's a futuristic possibility. If the son sets you free, if he does it, you will certainly be free. You'll be free forever. You will live in ultimate freedom. If the son sets you free, you will be free. Did the son set us free? Yeah. How? How did the son set us free? The son became a slave so that slaves could become sons and daughters of God. 
The holy one became unholy so that we who are unholy may be declared holy in the sight of God. The righteous one was declared unrighteous so that we who are deemed unrighteous may be declared righteous in the sight of God. Jesus died in our place. I want to tell you that I am free because of the Son. Because of the Son, I am set free. I am free because Jesus uh, went to the cross on my behalf. I am free because my sins were nailed to the tree. I am free because Jesus is my substitute. I am free because Jesus' dead body was placed in my grave. I am free because on the third day, Jesus got up. I am free because Jesus was physically and bodily and literally raised from the dead. I am free. So in Christ... The attic can be made free. In Christ, the drug addict can be set free. In Christ, the drunkard can be set free. In Christ, the adulterer can be set free. In Christ, the pervert can be set free. In Christ, the homosexual can be set free. In Christ, the thief can be set free. In Christ, the crook can be set free. In Christ, the liar can be set free. In Christ, the arrogant can be set free. In Christ, you can be set free. My friend, are you free? Are you free? Are you free? Are you free from your past? Are you free from your sin? Are you free from your shame? Are you free from the eternal condemnation that should be meted out against you, but it was meted out against Christ? Are you free to worship the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are you free to serve him wholeheartedly? Are you free to share his gospel unashamedly? Are you free to live for him regardless of the cost? Are you free to dance as if nobody was watching? Are you free to sing as if nobody was listening? Are you free to love as if you've never been brokenhearted? Are you free to obey Regardless of persecution, are you free? This is greater than financial freedom. This is more powerful than political freedom. This is more eternal than parental freedom. If the Son has set you free, you'll be free indeed. How do you enter this freedom? Clutch, cling, remain, abide. Hold onto the teaching of the truth teller. Cling to the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Admit to God that you are a sinner. Believe that Jesus is God's son and that he died on the cross in your place and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. When somebody does that, they go from captivity to freedom. They go from bondage to freedom. They go from slavery to sonship. They walk and dance and move and breathe in the freedom of Christ. Are you free? Today you can be set free. It's a freedom that's foundational. It's a freedom that's fundamental. It's a freedom that is forever. Today, my friend, you can be set free because if the Son sets you free, I said, if the Son sets you free, if the Son of God sets you free, then you will be free indeed. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we bow before you. Lord, we give you this invitation. 
We pray that the table has been set. We pray that people can respond to the ultimate freedom that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.